Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 15 down to the end of chapter 23. If you remember from several weeks ago, the book of Colossians begins with one of the greatest passages, chapters talking about who Jesus is, his divinity, nature, sort of lifting Christ up, maybe higher than anywhere else in Scripture, or more clearly. And then it talks about how we relate to that, and how there are competing systems, competing uh, teachers. And we come to this passage here, and it deals directly with false teaching and teachers. In fact, that's what the whole book of Colossians is about. There are some false teachers in, in the church, and Paul wrote a letter to deal with them. And his answer simply was Jesus, but longer, we'll see as we go through it, how we relate to Jesus. But the, the whole point is false teachers and false teaching. So read with me. We'll start in verse 15. Is it? Introduction, Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And that word substance could also be translated body. So the substance of the body is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If you come from a conservative background, this may be one of the most important passages in the Bible for you. It's profound and how it deals with just practical life. If you care about God and about the gospel, which I think we all do, often you are deeply disturbed at the sin in your heart, and you want to change it. You don't want to be the way you are. And this is when a clever false teacher will come in and offer you what you want in a different way. So what Paul is talking about here is false teachers in the church. The most dangerous kind. The false teacher on the TV, false teacher at the bookstore, but the false teacher behind the pulpit, that's the dangerous one. You've already welcomed him in. You've already given him credibility. His teaching sort of has a superficial stamp of approval. Those are the ones that are going to corrupt your faith. And so what this passage shows us is how to identify false teachers, how to identify false teaching, and then the alternative, which is Christ. So we're going to look at how to identify false teachers, 
how to identify false teaching, and how to focus on Christ. In verse 16 it says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival. What does a false teacher look like? Wouldn't that be nice if they had labels? If they just told you right up front, I'm wearing the false teacher jacket, and when I wear this jacket, you know I'm a false teacher. But the whole point of a false teacher is that they're a snake. The Bible doesn't say watch out for wolves. We all know to watch out for wolves. It's watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. They dress up like a sheep. They put a mask on. They put an outfit on that makes them fit in. When I was in seminary, one of my professors was talking about liberalism or false Christianity. He says, a liberal doesn't come into your church with a pitchfork and 666 tattooed on their forehead. He says they come in with a King James Version, a pious look, and a ready prayer. That's who we're looking for, is the people who look like they fit in. So how do we identify them? The Bible tells us. Look at verse 18. He says, let no one cheat you of your reward. And who are these that would cheat you? Taking delight. These are people who focus, who take delight in false humility. We all know pride is bad. If someone gets up there and says, I'm better than you, we're like, oh. So false teachers don't say they're better than you. They know that Christians are supposed to be humble, and so they put on a mask of humility. Isn't it, notice it says, they take delight in humility. Isn't that the opposite of humility? They talk a lot about their humility. They want everyone to know that they're humble. They're like, oh, I'm nobody. I'm just a nobody. And if you know it's false, doesn't it kind of like, kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit? But the better you get at it, the more it appears that you're humble. False humility tends to talk about yourself a lot about how you're not worth anything and how you're just a nobody and you're just a regular person. You talk about yourself a lot. But you talk about it in a way that's supposed to appeal to people, not put them off. But what's the key here? Taking delight in God? Taking delight in the gospel? Taking delight in their own persona? False teachers want you to know a lot about who they are and how you know, how much of a sinner they are and how much they're just like you, so listen to them. I did it. So when a con man comes in, he wants to make a connection with you. Talks about your kids, or talks about your job, or talks about your... He wants to make a connection. Because if you can make a personal connection, if if you're the same, then you can trust them. So someone who's, who's humble, we're like, we can trust a humble person. So a false teacher takes delight in false humility, putting on a mask of humility. They take pride in humility. They're proud of how humble they are. Pride, many people say it's the, it's the root of all sin, and it just may be. C.S. Lewis said, he goes, every time I cut the head off of pride, I'm proud of myself for it. And a false teacher loves to talk about how they don't have pride or how God's humbled them. But you see how close that is to what true Christianity is, which is humility? And that's why false teachers have to be watched out for. You have to look for them. And that false humility 
sort of, I'm just, you know, I'm just, just like you, all humans, but they don't say it that way. And so the Holy Spirit has to give you the gift of discernment to unmask the humble person. But look at how it continues. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen. That's that phraseology, and if you look at it in commentaries in the Greek, it's talking about visions. Things he hasn't seen with his eyes. He didn't see them in person. He had a vision. He intruded into a place where no one's been. He's got that special insight that everyone else is looking for. That's what a false teacher will do. They'll get in front of you and say, I know you didn't know this, but I know it, and I'm going to tell you. Are you ready for it? You ready for that thing that you can't have, but I have, but I'll give it to you? They're always talking about the special knowledge they have. Beware of people who know things that you couldn't know. That's not Christianity. We are unified in the body of Christ. There's one head over all of us, which means we're all basically at the same level, which means we all have access to the same knowledge. But this false teacher has access to things which nobody else has, and he wants to make sure you know about it. The old word for this was Gnosticism. But now it could be anything. Special revelation, a word from God, a, rev- a, a vision, special insight, special discernment. It comes in many forms, but the point is they can get it and you can't, which means you need them to tell you. So when I get up here and preach, it's not because I have special insight into the Scripture. It's simply I looked at it longer, and now I'm going to show you in the Bible what I've already seen there. And your job is to look in the Scripture and say, is it there or not? Not do I have it, but you don't. But a false teacher will do that. They want you to need them, to need their insight, to need their special knowledge. And what's the point of this? What's a false teacher want? They want to control you. Let no one judge you. Let no one cheat you. They want you to be beholden to them. They'll feed you information. They'll have you come to them for everything. They want control. Look at verse 21. Therefore, if you uh, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, who's telling you these things? Who's giving you the information about what not to touch, what not to taste, what not to handle? Paul's saying they're always got something for you. They decide. They control you. Look for a controlling person, and you might find a false teacher. It's a symptom of false teaching. Verse 22, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Commandments of men. You have to do them. Not advice, not counsel, not wisdom. Commandments. Find someone who you have to obey, and you could find a false teacher. So we are aware of these things. Jesus talks about it. Mark chapter 7. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now, don't let the don't let the part about eat bread with unwashed hands distract you from the uh, the real point, the tradition of the elders. What we've always done, what is right because we've been taught it's right, because that's what good people do. That's the right way. 
because it was what good people before us did, what our mother did, or our father did, or our pastor did. Whoever it was, it was some person, some regular person, they did it, and then they did it, and then we do it. Isn't that ironic? They're telling Jesus what other people said to do. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah the pro- uh, prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition, making the word of God no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. It takes constant awareness to realize what's in the Bible and what was handed to you. It doesn't jump out at you. Nothing is more natural than what's handed to you your whole life, what your parents raised you to do. It's just normal, isn't it? So when the Pharisees, they didn't realize what they were doing when they said to God, to Jesus, here's what the tradition is. Doesn't that, wouldn't you be afraid to tell God what men said to do? So what is it that's deceiving them? It's the, it's the normal way of doing things. It's mundane. It doesn't stand out. False teachers don't really stand out. They fit right into the culture. There's no red flags. They sound like you. They act like you. They dress like you. They talk like you. They say the things that you want to hear, the things you've been raised to hear. You see why Paul talks about false teachers? Satan designs false teachers to fit in and to give you what you've always been given. Tradition is that control method. Because when you break tradition, you're kicked out. You're not like everybody else. This is what we all do. If you don't do it, you're out. That's control. Controlling you by by forcing you to obey what people told you. Watch for people like that. You found a false teacher. And what's the end of all this? Notice what it says here. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Do you know anybody that worships angels? What's the point? The point is false teachers don't worship God. They've always got somebody else to worship. What I found is if only or angels, it's usually men. False teachers in our day and age usually worship other people. Back in this day, it was angels. And today, there's some of that. You know, the angels sort of like touched by an angel and highway to heaven. Sort of this exaltation of an angel. And they're the what you need. That's what they're doing. The angel is who's going to give you what you need. Not God. But the same thing can happen with other heroes. That preacher will give you what you need. That book will give you what you need. That church will give you what you need. Worship, false worship is the product of false teaching. False teachers are idolaters. They worship false gods of their own making or of others. So that's, that's what a false teacher looks like. Fake pride, uh, special knowledge, controlling. But let's look at also what false teaching looks like. Because sometimes someone will give you teaching that they don't know is wrong. They don't mean to mislead you. They are well-intentioned and they hand you a book or a sermon or they repeat something. 
And they are, they are actually humble. They are actually trying to seek the truth. But what they're giving you is false. What's that look like? He says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. What are all these things? These are things that help you get close to God. Rituals, ceremonies. You see, God gave most of these. Festivals or new moons or Sabbaths is an Old Testament way of talking about the things that God gave. Remember the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Sabbath day worship. That's what this is talking about. But what these false, what false teaching is, is follow the rituals as a test to show that you're a real Christian, that you're really spiritual. It's the form. It's the ritual. It's the ceremony. It's the coming to church. It's the reading your Bible. Do those things or you're not a real Christian. She says that no one judge you. What are they judging you on? What's the false verdict? If you don't do these things, you're not a real Christian. If you don't read your Bible and pray every day, you're not a real Christian. If you don't go to church three times a week, you're not a real Christian. If you celebrate that holiday on that day, you're not a real Christian. God is saying that's false teaching. Don't work on Sunday or you're not a real Christian. False teaching. Don't celebrate Halloween, Christmas, Easter. False teaching. Let no one judge you in food or in drink. You know what the Old Testament says about drink? Very little. The law, the Old Testament law, has very little to say about drink. It's a lot to say about food. And sometimes we lump those together, and this is how we know that these people are not really following the Old Testament. They're making things up. The only thing the Bible says about drink in the Old Testament was that the priests couldn't drink when they went to serve in the temple. And then a couple other small things, but nothing really about drink. So why would they add this in here? Because everybody knows that good Christians don't, what? Fill the blank. Don't eat here. Don't drink there. Don't do this on this day. Don't do that on that day. Ceremonies and rituals that are used to judge you. There's a story of Plato, the ancient philosopher. He gave the story. It's called the Allegory of the Cave. And he said, imagine a group of people who are chained up. Some of you know the story. You're chained up in a cave with your back to the entrance. And you can't turn your head. And there's a light coming in through the entrance. And it shines on people behind you, and it cuts their shadow up on the cave wall. And your whole life, that's all you've seen. What would you think about those shadows? You would think that the shadows were the real world. But then one day, one of you break free. And you turn around and you look out and you see that there's real people back there. And what do you want to do? Now that you've seen that, oh, those are real people. They're not shadows. You turn back to the people that are still chained. You say, the shadows aren't real. And what Plato said is that no one ever wants to hear that. And in fact, they may kill you for it. When you're trapped in an illusion, someone breaks into that illusion and says, that's just a shadow. That makes people angry. What the Bible is saying here is that these rituals, these ceremonies, these days, these behaviors are shadows. Who's the real person casting the shadow? The substances of Christ. Christ 
was be, in the Old Testament, Christ was behind his people. And the light shone in front of them to cast a shadow. And that's all they had. But we're not like that. Why don't we practice Sabbath? Because we have Jesus. The Sabbath was the point forward to Jesus. But once you get to Jesus, why go back to the shadow? Imagine you meet a friend on the street. It's a sunny day. And instead of hugging your friend, you go and you hug his shadow. And you start talking to the shadow and you pat the shadow. and You say, don't anybody step on the shadow. It's crazy. And yet Christians do the exact same thing. They say, the Old Testament was given to us for a reason. I know someone, a Christian, who said they keep some of the Old Testament dietary laws because God gave them for a reason. Here's the thing. He told us what the reason was. The reason was the point to Christ. And if you've got Christ, why are you going back to the Old Testament to find out who Jesus is? You don't need to keep the dietary laws because God had a good reason. Right here it says, those things are a shadow of things to come, but the substance, the body, is of Christ. And when you hear people going back to the Old Testament to figure out everything, they usually don't know who Jesus is. And so they go to the shadow because the shadow is easier for them to grasp. They're used to the shadow. It makes sense to them. Jesus is hard to, to grasp, isn't he? He's powerful. He's dynamic. It's hard to put him in a box. Shadows are easier to deal with. And false teaching gives you something easy to swallow, easy to comprehend, and easy to do. But that's false teaching. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. If you're bringing it up in the Old Testament, you're not pointing to Christ, you've missed everything. Why all these... See, the false teaching, the goal here is to make you a better person. It's not to take your money. It's not to gain power. That's not the motivation. That's not the goal. The goal is to make you a better person. Don't you love God? Don't you want to stop being such a bad person? A false teacher says, here's how you do it. Here are the rules. The rules are the source of growth. You want to avoid sin? Follow these steps. You want to be a better person? Don't do these things. You want to grow in Christ? Do these things. That means that the rules are actually the growth. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations, to rules, to standards? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. What, they, what the false teaching does, it takes good things in this world, good behaviors even, and makes them the source of growth. You have to do them to be a good person. You know, I don't want to be too specific, but you ever heard the phrase, stay three steps away from sin? That's what Paul's talking about right here, specifically. He says, these regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Those three Greek words are in descending order. First, and really the translation could be reversed, so the word touch could be handled. God says don't do this. There's the line. But this regulation is, don't even touch it. God says don't eat it, but this is saying don't even touch it. Don't even taste, don't even think about touching it. Don't even think about thinking about touching it. That Paul is saying that's what false teachers say. 
Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not have, don't even get three steps away from it. Say three steps away from sin is a sign of false teaching. And I've said that. I've taught that. So I've taught false teaching. But now I'm teaching the Bible. So what do we do when we discover that we've had false teaching? We change. We conform to the Scripture. And the Scripture says, don't subject yourself to rules. They don't work. Mark chapter 7 finishes, says, When he had all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You know why you're a bad person? It's not because you do bad things. It's because your heart's bad. And so stopping the bad things doesn't change your heart. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's not what you put into your body. It's not snorting cocaine that makes you a bad person. It's the heart that wants it. So whether you've done drugs or not, if your heart wants it, your heart's corrupt. You may never have committed adultery, but if you wanted to, your heart is an adulterer's heart. You may never have robbed, stolen, killed, but if your heart wanted it, that's who you are. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not what you put into your body. It's what's in your body already. The words reveal who you are. The actions reveal who you are. And so putting rules and fences around the outside doesn't change the inside. False teachers put rules around the outside but don't change the inside. And so Jesus says, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Be careful. They look good. They look biblical. They look Christian. They look right. In self-imposed religion, it's not what the Bible says, it's what you've added, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. Of no value. See how absolute God's word is? The rules have no value to change your heart. I don't care if you stay 10 steps away from sin, it will have no effect on you. Your heart will be just as wicked three steps as one step. It has no effect. My upbringing, fundamentalism, does not understand this. They say, and I've said, do these things to protect yourself from sin. You can't protect yourself from sin. It's in your heart. It's already in. It's the world, yes. It's the devil, yes, but it's also the flesh. And the flesh is already there. It has no value. Legalism, that's what this is talking about. It's false worship of rules. It's saying, these will give me salvation from sin. That's what legalism is. It's salvation from sin through rules. If I worship the Bible, I'll be changed. If I worship these rules, if I... If I go to these rules to protect me, to give me what I need, to change me, that's false worship. That's putting the rules as the source. That's putting the rules as the means for spiritual renewal. That's false worship. Now, let me warn you of the other side. The opposite of legalism is not license or libertarianism. The opposite of legalism is the gospel. But you know what else is the opposite of the gospel? Absolute freedom. See, many of us leave legalism 
and say, well, now I'll do whatever I want because the Bible says don't let anybody judge me. You've replaced the rules with yourself. You said, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm not going to worship rules. I'm going to worship freedom. Freedom is what will fulfill me. Freedom is what I need. The lack of control, that will fulfill me. I'm a bad person because of the rules. You're not a bad person because of fundamentalism. Fundamentalism is not the reason you're a bad person or that you're broken. Sin is the reason. And sure, fundamentalism has its own version of sin, but on the other side, there's another version of sin, which is do whatever you want. That's another false god. That's another false teaching. It's a worship of freedom. Don't be an idolater. Don't worship rules and don't worship freedom. Now, I'm going to give you the teachings of an independent Baptist preacher who's been maybe the most influential preacher in the past 50 years. And it's false teaching. And we've all been influenced by it. And I think I don't normally pick on individual people, but this is deep in our church. You can talk, ask me who he is later, and I can show you the, the source. First, he says, and I want you to see if you can identify the false teaching here. Sin is basically that which causes bad consequences to me or someone else. The ultimate consequence of sin is death. What's not in that definition? God. Jesus. Sin is basically that which causes bad consequences to me or someone else. Well, Jesus didn't even need to show up. No Christ. Remember what he says here? Let no one cheat you and not holding fast to the head. Everything in Colossians is about how great Jesus is. And now we have a definition of sin that doesn't include Jesus. That doesn't include God's holiness. And instead it includes consequences for yourself. False teaching always focuses on you. This world. Then he goes on. If we could just find what brings death and avoid it, we could avoid death. Death of dreams, death of homes, death of hopes, etc. Since we don't want to die, then we should avoid sin, for sin brings death. What is this offering you? What hope is this teaching offering you? Earthly hope. It's saying death of dreams. What dreams? Dream of a good life, dream of family, dream of happiness. Death of homes. Earthly homes, death of hopes, etc. Things that this world can give you. But the Bible says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? You see, false teaching offers you this life. Do these and you'll get this life. But it masks it as if that's what God wants to give you. God doesn't offer you this life. He never promises you anything in this life. He promises you something in the next life. So when a teacher says you can avoid the death of dreams, homes, hopes, watch out. Since we don't want to die, then we should avoid sin. Is that is death what we're afraid of? Is that the Christian's greatest fear is dying? Where's Christ? Where's the resurrection? Where's the hope of the life after this? So he says, that's what I can offer you. Here's how you get it. How tragic it is that many schools have their rules just between temptations and sin. Now, let me qualify. Sin is what God said is wrong. So let me rephrase him. 
How tragic that many schools have the rules just between what is okay and what is wrong. Now, where else would the rule be? Where else would the line be except between right and wrong? The only rules at these other schools are those which keep young people from sin. Why not make rules that keep them from temptation? Then why not make rules to prevent enticement in order to keep the young people even farther from death? The issue is to be as safe as possible. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Do you hear the false teaching out of Colossians? Why do you subject yourself to regulations? To stay away from sin. They are of no value against it. The issue is to be safe as possible. It is, it is safe not to run with the wrong crowd. If it is safe not to run with the wrong crowd, then it is safer not to run with the crowd who runs with the wrong crowd. If you can, the Bible says don't sin. But what if you can stay two steps away from sin? You see what this man is doing? He's saying, I can give you what you want, safety. I can protect you. And here's how. A form. Self-imposed religion. Not God-imposed. Self-imposed religion. And then, to close it, where does this lead to? Who's going to have to be the authority for this? You see, if God gave his rules, but they aren't enough, you've got to add, then God can't be the authority for those other rules. And so he says, somebody says, this, this teacher says, somebody says, prove it by the Bible. In this case, I do not have to do so. I can prove it by good sense. That's false teaching. And we've all imbibed it for a long time because it looked right. It had the appearance of wisdom. It seemed right, but it's not. What is right? Christ. You notice what he never mentioned one time? Jesus. This, his teaching doesn't need Jesus. He doesn't need Jesus for that version of religion. And if you don't need Jesus, then why call yourself a Christian? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross if we can just keep the rules? You see, false teachers says, let no one cheat you. Taking delight in false worship, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, all of it, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. This is saying, the increase that comes from rules is not from God. The only real growth is from Christ. Any growth that comes from not following Christ is not from God. Any growth that you can't trace directly to the head is not from God. Christ is the authority. What does the Bible say? That's the first question. What does the Bible say? Not what does good sense tell you, not what good experience has told you, not what you observe. What does the Bible say? Which is another way of saying, what does Jesus tell me? There's only one head, and that's Jesus. Calvin said, and truly all wisdom that men have for themselves is mere wind. Hence, there is nothing solid except in the word of God and in the illumination of the spirit. Just a lot of hot air. 
has the appearance of wisdom, but it's just hot air. If people get offended when you say, where's that in the Bible? You should be, a, you should be warned. You should be very wary of people who don't like to go to the Bible. Well, we all know it's there. Or why do you always have chapter and Okay, maybe not a proof text, but I want to see it in Scripture. If you're going to tell me what to do, I want to see it in the Bible. If you're going to tell me it's wrong to do something, let me see it in Scripture first. Because I follow Jesus. That's it. I don't follow other people. Man-made rules don't cut it. Why? Because Christ is the source. We are holding fast to the head. Why? Because he's the king, yes, but also because he, the whole body, is nourished and knit together and grows. You know why fundamentalism is going to fail? Because it got distracted from Jesus. It started looking for other sources. It cannot sustain itself. The parts of fundamentalism and independent Baptist churches and conservative Christianity that's tied to Jesus will make it, and the rest of it will fall away. I don't need to be a prophet to know that. I just need to read the Bible. We're at the end of a generation. The 20th century was a way of doing Christianity that's falling away. What's next? What will make it out? What points to Christ? What exalts Christ? What follows Christ? What's the source of real power? Jesus, the person of Jesus, not the teachings of Jesus. The person of Jesus. See, it's not you're knit to the Bible. It's you are knit and nourished from Christ. If you don't know Christ as a personal Savior, as a personal relationship, you're not getting anything. Following Christ without knowing Christ is worthless. It's rules. It's a new form of legalism. Why do you pray? Or why should you pray? Because prayer, one thing, it reminds you that you're talking to a person. You can show up and hear and listen and sing and forget that God's listening too. But when you pray, you can't ignore the fact that you're talking to someone. It's just you and God talking. So the less you pray, the more you're going to be ten- you tend to forget that God is a person, that Christ hears you. If you have no desire to pray, it's because you forgot that Jesus is with you listening. So prayer teaches us personal, but also you need community. Look what it says here. Holding fast to the head from whom all the body... Directly nourished, kind of, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments. There's no life with Christ outside of the church. How do you know Christ? Because the preacher told you. How do you see Christ? Because people show him to you. The, the gospel way is a community. No community, no nourishment. It's not community or Christ. It's Christ through the community. Does the community point you to Christ? Then you're nourished through it. You see the rituals, the ceremonies, the church services, the Bible reading, is it pointing you to Christ? Then it's nourishing you. The people around you, are you connected to them? It doesn't just say you're with them. It says you are knit together. Are you knit together with other Christians? Maybe that's why you're not happy as a Christian. Maybe that's why you're not growing. Maybe that's why you can't get rid of sin in your life. You're discouraged, you're disappointed, because you're trying to do it by yourself. The Bible says you have to be knit together. Here's a practical application. Do you have two or three people in this church that you will contact if they're not here? Not the whole church. Not ten people, two people. 
Think about it. Are there two people in this church that you've reached out to to connect with? That's what knitting together looks like. It means say, it's saying, I'm going to find a couple people who I'm going to make sure I look out for. Community that just shows up in the same spot's not enough. You have to look out for each other. You have to say, Christ is here. Look at him. You weren't here to hear the preaching and the singing, so I'm going to reach out to you. That's what community looks, that's what gospel-centered community looks like. It's you reaching out to people, just a couple people, and making sure that they know that this church missed them. Giving them a little bit of the gospel. The true power, true Christianity produces change. Are you more holy than you were a year ago? Have you sinned less than you did a year ago? Have you overcome some sin the past year or two or three? If the answer is no, two things. You're either not a Christian. You do not have the Holy Spirit. You are trying to change through behavior, and you can't, and you're lost, and you're hopeless. What's the answer? Turn to Christ. Don't turn to the church. Turn to Christ. Or maybe you have turned to Christ, and you still can't overcome sin. Are you trying to do it by yourself? Are you trying to fight sin in secret? You cannot fight sin by yourself. You cannot hold on to Christ by yourself. You have to be knit together with the church. You will not overcome your sin by yourself. You either do it with Christ in the church or you don't do it. That's why church is so important. That's why membership is so important. It's not to count the numbers. It's to help each of us overcome sin and worship Christ. So when you hear teaching and when you hear teachers... Ask yourself, does that point to Christ? Does that teaching point to Christ? Is the goal of that teaching Christ? Does that person lead to Christ? Do their conversations, their teaching, do their goals take your eyes off of them and onto Jesus? Does your behavior cause you to look at Christ or look away from Christ? There's the liberty to decide for yourself what behaviors point to Christ or don't point to Christ. Don't let false teachers judge you, cheat you, by drawing attention away from Jesus to themselves. It's Christ in all, because Christ is all. Let's pray.